Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, Dolphins fans, haters, and everyone in between to your favorite show discussing the greatest franchise in sports, the Miami Dolphins. My name is Moose, your host, and today I'm so excited to get going as we look back at the Dolphins draft from last week, looking at all the players selected, as well as their potential roles in the seemingly accelerated rebuild. And as always, we'll also take a quick look at the latest stories that were published over at finspod.com. Let's dive in. And it starts with number 13. Two o'clock of Phenomenal. When he improvises, he's really dangerous. Number one in touchdown passes in the history of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Thank you, Valoa. Try to make up for it. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! The Crimson Tide will not be denied. Wow. The excitement. The hype. The Dolphins took Tua Tungavailoa, quarterback Alabama, with their first pick of the first round, number five overall. A few things to note, Tua Tungavailoa has a higher potential than any quarterback the Dolphins have had in this millennium. The next closest would, would likely be Tannehill, and from just purely a talent standpoint, it's going to be Jay Cutler. I mean, we love Chad Pennington, but talent-wise, he, he can't hold a candle to Tua. It was amazing, and I know as Dolphins fans, we we were expecting something bad to happen, uh, just the way the way it's been for the last couple decades. But you know, once the Lions took Akuda, and we knew the Giants were not a threat because again, you know, Dave Gettleman almost forgot his name over there. Dave Gettleman has never traded back ever since he was a GM, both with the Panthers and now with the Giants. Last year at number six, he took Daniel Jones when he easily could have traded back and no one would have taken him. So they also needed a tackle to protect that quarterback that they took last year. So I wasn't too concerned there. Once Miami had the pick, then it was just pure fear. Oh, no. Are they going to take Justin Herbert? Are they going to take Jedrick Wills? Are they going to take another player rather than a potential elite quarterback staring them in the face? Come on. Come on. And, of course, Roger Goodell came on and butchered his name, but I was so happy, and I know a lot of Dolphins fans out there were as well. So the games played by Miami's front office, 
give Chris Greer immense credit. You know, they had the media running in circles. And, and it's funny how the narrative came full circle, too. How it started, you know, a couple of years ago, we talked about in episode one of this podcast, how people have thought the Dolphins and Tua were a match made in heaven for years now. We've been tanking for Tua, so to speak, for years now. So the idea that they were able to somehow get all of the media to believe coming up to the draft that not only would they not take Tua, they might actually prefer Herbert, and above all of that, they might want to move up to take a tackle and take Jordan Love after, just shows to the mastery of what Chris Greer was able to do and how sealed that front office was and how there were such few people who actually knew what was going on. So, bravo. Bravo. Excited to see how this front office continues to operate going forward. Now, just moving on to the player himself, Tua Tungavailoa, great fit. He's a leader, something that Brian Flores has said he wants from the quarterback position and kind of why we saw Fitzpatrick thrown in there. The team didn't rally around Josh Rosen, unfortunately, didn't allow him time to really see what he was a full season as a starter, but allowed us to see Fitzpatrick, which was exciting. So Tua fits that mold. He's a leader. He's been in the big moments. He's played extremely well under pressure. And not only that, like not only did we see him throw a game-winning touchdown as a true freshman, he's had different offenses while at Alabama. You know, he's changed offenses and elevated them. So he's adaptable. And he's played in multiple systems, and, and being adaptable is huge in the modern NFL where your game plan is going to change week to week. So we do know that whatever it is, if they're going to run heavy, use the play-action pass, if you know it's going to be pass-heavy, attack the outside corners, Tua will be ready for that. And Burt Breer, uh, SI's own uh, Albert Breer, he, uh, <laughs> the guy who said that no person in the NFL thought that Tua Tungavailoa would be going to the Dolphins, which just goes to show how good of a job that Chris Greer did. He actually had an interview after the draft with Brian Flores who indicated that the offense would go more towards a RPO fit. Now, that's great news because Tua Tungvaluwa is incredible at the RPO game. It involves quick strikes, quick reads, quick decisions, you know, great footwork, quick twitch release, something that Tua Tungvaluwa excelled at while at Alabama. So again, the run pass option being a big part of this, you know, Tua Tungavailoa would be a much better fit, and it does explain why Chad O'Shea was like, oh, he's, he's not as much of an RPO-style coach while Chan Gailey is. Now, in terms of what Tungavailoa could do this year for the Dolphins, look, he's the franchise going forward. Buy your jerseys. Go ahead, get those throwbacks. He's going to look great in them. He is the franchise. And don't say Fitz is a lock. Everyone's just like, oh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's going to be starting all season long. Tua will be brought in his second year. This will be a redshirt year. Yes, Fitz is an odds-on favorite, but the coaching staff showed that you know they'll play the guy who gives them the best chance to win. If Tua is healthy, and give and you know the doctors give him the green light, and he's outperforming the other quarterbacks in practice, including Rosen and Fitzpatrick, they're gonna play him. They should play him. Being scared is pointless. You took a risk, so live with it. If he's gonna get hurt, he's gonna get hurt, and that sucks. But if he's ready, play him because he'll be better than every other option. And oftentimes we see sort of the Patrick Mahomes comparison with him. You know, hey, look at Mahomes. Well, honestly, with any quarterback who comes out, Jordan Love too. You know, sit him for a year. Look at what happened with Mahomes. He he sat for a year and he came in and, oh, he took the NFL by storm. It's not really uh, apples to apples here with Tua because the things that they were bad at coming into the NFL, polar opposites. Tua Tungvaluwa physically is what your concern is. Not mentally, not how he's going to pick up the speed of the game, not how he's going to be able to process a defense. That's not your concern with him. It's can he hold up. 
Patrick Mahomes physically had all the talent in the world. That wasn't a concern at all. It was he had to learn the NFL game. So and that's why Jordan Love is a far better comparison for the style of which you implement these guys into the NFL. You know, Tua Tungavailoa doesn't need to be held back from a mental standpoint. It's only a physical standpoint. So whether you see him week four, you know, Fitzpatrick regresses into the Fitzpatrick of old and, you know, Tua's ready to go, great. If you see him week eight because, you know, the team does better and, you know, you want, you want Tua to kind of come in at a better time, great. If it's all of the year and we see him next year, that's good too. But the important thing to note is Miami's going to play him when he is ready. And for Dolphins fans, that's the best thing you can hear. With their second pick in the first round, the Dolphins took USC's Austin Jackson, left tackle. Now, he fills a hole. You know, Jackson may have had his struggles on tape with some higher-level players coming out of the draft, but, you know, he's only 20 years old. The guys who he was playing were older, more grown into their bodies, and more refined in, in terms of their technique. You know, with coaching Austin Jackson, with all the traits he has, his physical ability, you know, he can truly develop into, frankly, an elite player at the position. Yes, a more plug-and-play guy would have provided some ease for us as fans, but the coaching staff believes that they can get the most out of him. And the old cliche really does apply with him. You know, the dancing bear, he's got quick feet for a big man, six foot five, 320 pounds. He's got a powerful and quick punch, which with, with a lot of room to get stronger. Again, he's only 20 years old. So athleticism allows him to sort of hunt on the second level too. This athleticism will allow him to sort of grow in his technique and his fundamentals, become more sound on a snap-to-snap basis. And, you know, we could see some struggles early, but, you know, the bust factor here is, is, is kind of low. You know, he's got a high ceiling, but I don't really see him busting just in terms of, you know, Juwan James, I would say, is a good comp or physically you would want him to get stronger. But Austin Jackson is much, much more athletic than Juwan James. And, and he's not a Laramie Tunsil. You know, Laramie Tunsil was amazing if physically as well as, you know, coming into the league. He was ready-made to play left tackle. Austin Jackson's far younger. He's going to need some time. Uh, He's going to need to get a bit stronger in order to hold up against the best of the best. But starting immediately as a rookie should not be a problem. He's going to be an immediate starter. That's out of necessity, though, you know, because if he doesn't claim the left tackle spot, then we're talking red flag because, you know, all the signs and indications point to him claiming the spot just because there's no competition. There's no one else who's going to come in there and compete with him because we don't have the talent. Um, so unless he's outperformed by Jesse Davis and Robert Hunt and they feel like, hey, we'll stick, you know, flowers at guard, Dieter can stick at right guard or stay at left guard, Karras is the center, Robert Hunt can be right tackle, Jesse, that then he won't play. But that's bad. You don't want that. That's a waste of a pick. If he can't take that crown that early, we have a problem. But I don't foresee that. I don't think the coaches would have invested in it if they don't believe that it's something they can work with. And frankly, the left tackle does not matter as much as as many people think for Miami because we got a lefty quarterback. So frankly, the right side is what we should focus on. And despite that, despite all the criticisms he's getting, turn on the tape. He, you know, he had some good moments. He had some, a lot of good moments, way more good moments than bad. And yes, Bills fans will let you know AJ Epinesa beat up on him. AJ Epinesa was years older than him much stronger, and A.J. Epinesa had an offseason to work. He wasn't donating his bone marrow to save his sister's life like Austin Jackson was. So a lot of things to remember here and a lot of context as we evaluate him going forward. But, you know, hey, hopefully it's a great pick in the long run. With the third pick, the Dolphins took Auburn cornerback Noah Igbenogany. Now, we could look back and say that this was honestly the best value pick of the entire class. And why do I say that? Because if we're talking ceiling— Nobody knows this kid's ceiling. 
You know, the floor is already high as he's already at this very moment a really solid corner, you know, and he's only going to be able to get better as he has only been playing the position for two years. And he played it, albeit at a top 15 collegiate defense, and he was one of their best players. So in terms of what he is as a player, you know, he's a matchup piece in this defense specifically, and he can play on all levels and sides of the field, including boundary and nickel. You know, he can potentially shadow the opposing team's most physical receiving threat. And again, like we said, he only played the position for two years, yet he was a starter. So that's a good sign in terms of his growth and what the coaches saw in him that, hey, we throw him out there, he's only going to get better. And the film backs that up. He's got the perfect body type for a press corner, very similar to Xavier Howard, sort of long arms, able to sort of match up with sort of the modern receivers that are in the NFL, you know, but he's a lot more physical from jump, at least as a rookie. He's going to be a lot more physical, you know, both at the line of scrimmage as well as throughout the route. He doesn't just shadow the receiver extremely well, you know, thanks to his athleticism and and his transition from the receiver position, he plays the ball and has an aggressive mindset. And that did lead to some penalties, and we're going to likely have to see that and deal with that early in his career. But again, he's new to the position, and some coaching and mentoring will teach him some tricks and tactics to avoid that yellow laundry. And like we talked about, he's going to be the third corner behind Howard and Jones, um, Byron Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. You know, this defense, the Brian Flores defense, is a matchup defense. So if a specific game plan calls for Jones to step back at safety, maybe shadow a shiftier wideout who's elite in their route running, Igbenogany may be asked to take on the opposing team's physical wideout or even tight ends. You know, he's a great athlete, strong build, super excited to see his improvement over time. You know, and it's important to remember that Brian Flores spent more seasons as the Patriots safety coach than linebacker coach. So he knows the position and what it takes to make up for a great defensive backfield. You know, so he's going to be trained properly and coached up right. And if Brian Flores watched the film and was like, I like this a lot, and he wanted to invest that 30th pick in a pretty deep corner class, then honestly, who are we to say that he isn't going to be potentially Miami's starting corner in a couple of years? And with Xavier Howard's status up in the air, as much as I love X and I think he's underrated, despite that contract, I still think he's underrated. Um, you know, if there are issues with health, he's had trouble staying healthy. You know, the team might want to cut bait that contract a couple of years. Having a guy like Igbenogany will be a luxury. So in the second round, we started seeing a theme. A theme sort of developed. Build the trenches. The Dolphins took with the 39th pick overall, Robert Hunt, um, the right tackle out of University of Louisiana Lafayette. Unlike Austin Jackson, Hunt is more of a mauling type lineman. He's a force in the run game with a lower ceiling as a pass protector. However, he does have the tools that you want to see in order for him to develop into a reliable option at the position. But he could be a better fit at guard. He's got shorter arms. You know, we have seen players with, you know, shorter arms not let that hold them back. You know, he is very physical. He loves contact. But, you know, he's he's also someone who might just be better in a tighter window where he can focus his explosion, you know, on other giant men. Um, he So that's the thing. If he comes to the NFL and you, you stick him at tackle, he hasn't faced the same level of athlete as, he, as he's going to in the NFL. So he could get beat to the edge with speed. And that move inside will allow him to sort of minimize his movements and just focus on what he's good at, which is mauling and being powerful. You know, recent reports did indicate that the Dolphins are going to try Hunt at right tackle. He'd get a shot. 
that's smart. Again, like I said, we've seen players with not necessarily the best body type or profile pan out and be like really good tackles in the league. And if he is great, you found your starting blindside protector for Tua. But if not, you know, it could be a huge, huge boon for them to have him move inside to the uh, to the guard position. And at least you know that you've cross-trained him, providing him more versatility across the line. If you start him at tackle but it doesn't really fit and he's a better guard, at least he had that training at the NFL level as a tackle and guard. And that's sort of another theme we're seeing with the way the Dolphins have built their offensive line. You know, by signing Ted Karras with his position flexibility, Eric Flowers having his experience at tackle, and now he's a guard, and even Dieter, who in college played all across the interior of the offensive line center and both guard positions, the Dolphins are emphasizing multiplicity and what their big uglies can do. And that's a smart approach to dealing with injuries, you know, which are inevitable in the trenches. So in the second round, the Dolphins had another pick at 56. And Brian Flores was excited about this one, and the whole country saw it. Raekwon Davis, defensive tackle from Alabama. Flores was reaching his arms out, shedding an imaginary blocker, probably to Chris Greer over Zoom. But his excitement points directly to what can be seen on film. You know, Raekwon Davis is a powerful presence on the interior defensive line with an incredible body type for the position. Six foot six, 310 pounds. He is strong, and that shows up on the tape. He can immediately be a gap plugging force who uses his size and leverage to shed blockers, kind of like Flores was doing, and clog up running lanes. He can push the interior of that offensive line back into the opposing quarterback's face, preventing them from really comfortably stepping up into their throws, affecting accuracy on those throws. And if they roll out, it allows your pass rushers to eat. And and we'll get to some of those pass rushers they added later in the draft. But even guys like Shaq Lawson, Emmanuel Ogba, Kyle Van Noy, that'll be great for them if these quarterbacks can't step up to avoid them. His production did go down, but again, he did face more double teams as he became more recognized by opponents. You know, he he started off as a sophomore, I believe, and he had his most sacks, and he was truly getting those one-on-one matchups, and he was just eaten. He was eaten, but over time, his numbers went down, but I do think that can be said for potentially a guy reading his own news clippings, doesn't want to get injured, not really putting as much emphasis, you know, in terms of his preparation, which you don't want to see. But, you know, if, if the Dolphins met with them, if Flores met with them, uh, and, and he's comfortable with that, I, I don't think Flores would have taken a guy who he didn't think gave it his all. So maybe it truly was a case of Alabama facing offenses who would put more emphasis on stopping Raekwon Davis on the interior of that defensive line. So, Again, it does take away the numbers in terms of you know his p- production in terms of sacks and tackles for loss, but at le- the very least, it does show that he can be a difference maker. You know, he's he still got a ways to go. He needs coaching and discipline to stay consistent with his technique, but he's likely going to start right away as a defensive tackle in the rotation. His pass rush is not as refined as Christian Wilkins or even Devon Godchow, who's really developed nicely um, in this new defense last year, and, and even before that, Godchow was sort of growing as a player and and honestly he's probably going to get a big payday likely not for Miami next offseason but I would love to see him stay he's a great character guy great locker room guy um, and is really grown into his own as sort of a, a mid-round pick so great pick by Greer there as well um, so but for Raekwon Davis Kicking him out to end won't be seen too early in his career, even though the Dolphins play that 3-4 front where your defensive tackles kind of play that defensive end position, but they're not wide nine style like the Dolphins used to have with Cameron Wake and, and Dominican Sue back in those days. But, you know, he has the potential to grow into a high-level starter who's just his size disrupts opposing offenses. And as of now, as of right now, he, at the very least, he's going to be a valuable piece to the rotation on the interior of the defensive line. 
The Dolphins had another pick in the third round as well. Oh, wow, racking up the picks here. At number 70 overall with Brandon Jones, a safety or honestly a defensive back from the University of Texas. Brandon Jones is a smart and cerebral player. He was injured, so he wasn't able to perform at the Combine. And I think everyone's probably heard the story, but he he asked for all of the tape of all of the NFL defenses, and he studied it, learned it. He was able to show up at the Combine and sort of break down what these teams were doing. He learned a lot from that experience, according to his own words, and it did impress the Dolphins coaching staff that, one, he took that initiative, and he was able to retain so much information, which in a complicated defense like the Dolphins is a great asset to have. And again, it's important to remember that the modern NFL doesn't need safeties who are big hitters and are threatening forces. You know, the Troy Palomalus, the Sean Taylors, you know, that's not the direction the league's headed in. And it's smart of the Dolphins to follow suit. You know, that you need a safety who can help in coverage and also, yes, help in the running game and be, a, be you know, physical. But it's hard to find those athletic freaks, those Jamal Charles, you know, those Derwin James, who are not only ranging safeties back there who can come over the top and make a play, but then also, you know, strike fear into the hearts of any slot receiver going over the middle, just because we don't see those licks the same way we used to. Um, as a player, Brandon Jones is a rangy safety who, can, who has coverability. He's able to play in the nickel if necessary, cover running backs out of the backfield, match up with sort of smaller tweener tight ends. Um, he's a really good tackler too, which is great for Flores. Sound in his technique, doesn't miss a lot of tackles. He's not an elite athlete, so to say, at the position. Like we mentioned those Derwin James or Jamal Adams, but he makes up for it by knowing where to be positioned and his role in the coverage. So, He may not see the field right away as a starter, um, but he could be starting at safety midway through the season, depending on injuries. Eric Rowe often (laughs) suffers injuries if his career has proven one thing. Um, And, you know, at least, you know, he'll be rotating on the back end, you know, maybe at nickel with Bobby McCain, Eric Rowe, and Adrian Colbert. Um, Again, because of this defense is not, you know, there's no defined roles here. So, you know, he might be playing up close to the line of scrimmage, one play, and all of a sudden he's back on the back end. It really just depends on what the game plan is defensively. And again, his versatility is only a benefit for this defense and probably a reason why Brian Flores wanted to add him. He's not necessarily a cookie-cutter safety. He's not a cookie-cutter nickel corner, or he's not a cornerback by any any regards either. So he'll be able to sort of play that role um, as a safety, but also help out when necessary in coverage. So he's a high character guy too. He was a leader in college, um, and if you sort of see, go go look at some interviews. Go see some of his, you know, behind the scenes stuff. He he had a great story with with a, with a child who had cancer. He's a, he's clearly a high character, good kid. Um, and so you know, we're not as certain here about his ceiling though. From a, from a football perspective, he's got a high floor. But if the guy's got drive and you know he has all the physical tools, then who are we to say what his ceiling is? Which is exciting at the very least. So that high floor is important to know. And in round round three pick 70 getting a guy who will baseline be a contributor is great develops into your potential starting safety who makes impact plays for you week in week out amazing we're going to jump into sort of the later rounds now four through seven and so the dolphins traded up in round four to get a guard from georgia solomon kindley (laughs) big boy big boy the team like i said moved up to get him which shows that they really like his talent and his character which is a big theme for the Dolphins in this draft and just over the last year with the Brian Flores regime coming in, focusing on the locker room and people wanting to work. You know, he played, uh, Kinley now, played against high levels of competition in the SEC next to the first offensive lineman taken, meaning he saw plenty of stunts and complicated pressure packages, which only bodes well. If Anthony, if Anthony Thomas or Andrew Thomas, excuse me, the first offensive tackle taken by the Giants at pick number four, 
was shutting down defensive ends, the only way Georgia was going to face any pressure was obviously if the other side of the line collapsed. But if the defenses put some crazy stunts together, defensive tackles, defensive ends, linebackers attacking from all different sides, switching it up from what they kind of show at the start of the snap or pre-snap. So Kinley will be able to mentally be ready to face these kinds of pressure packages in the NFL because he played it at the highest level. And honestly, with the state of the offensive line right now with the Dolphins, obviously better with these picks that we got, but just the overall state of the Dolphins offensive line, he could start right away and earn a spot. But don't be surprised if he's a depth piece to begin his career. And it's not a bad thing at all at this point in the draft in the fourth round to just get a depth guy. The Dolphins took Dieter last year in round three. And frankly, he could be a depth guy this year. Uh, his development wasn't as high as we would like to see at Michael Dieter. And, and he could be replaced by Solomon Kinley. But, but it's good that the Dolphins now have options at that guard position. Later in the draft, the Dolphins were able to pick up a pair of defensive ends, some pass rushers, and that was very exciting. They took Jason Strobridge, uh, defensive end out of the University of North Carolina, a Tar Heel, the ACC. You know, he's a pass rusher and outside linebacker type, which does fit the Dolphins' new mold. You know, not entirely Kyle Van Noy, more of a Shaq Lawson, you know, not the best body, a pure speed pass rusher, but definitely someone who is not a Charles Harris. Uh, he, you know, the, the previously, the previous regime, the wide nine look that the Dolphins like to roll with really did bode well for Charles Harris, which was a speedy pass rusher with an explosive first step. Not that any of us saw that explosive first step over the last three years in Miami, but now the Dolphins want a strong, at the point of attack, edge defender who can apply pressure but does not need to run up the field past the quarterback to do it, rather just try to crash the pocket in, which, you know, ideally that's going to help from the secondary as well. If, you know, they're shutting down receiving receiving options, the quarterback has to hold on to the ball, pocket closes on closes in on him, and a big sack for whether it be the interior of the offensive line or the edge. But most importantly, it's important that these defensive ends are holding strong at the point of attack and not letting running backs run around them playing strong, setting the edge. And and again, Strobridge has a great motor, and he's more developmental and will be part of the rotation early on. You know, he's not going to be a starter. He's not honestly going to be thrown in on important, you know, moments in the game early in his career at the very least. But he could very easily develop into a Shaq Lawson type, an Emmanuel Ogba type, which and, and having those two guys to learn from is great. And then, again, the Dolphins in that same round took Curtis Weaver out of Boise State. I'm shocked that he was still available. He led his conference. Uh, he led, I believe it's the Midwalk, but led led the conference within sacks. And and people are understandably very excited about this pickup for his production. What he did in college, he slipped a lot. Why? There's not really a good reason why. I mean, it could be that he has no one elite tool or physical trait, but we see this all the time. Dudes who don't look the part but have proven time and time again on the field when they get in the league, they're going to tear it up. And a few years later, people think back at these options, you know, and they're like, oh, my God, I wonder why he fell in the first place. Think of a Jared Allen. He was a monster off the edge. Coming out of college was kind of forgotten. And why his body type wasn't the sexiest. He didn't look the part. And Curtis Weaver doesn't have that one physical trait that makes you go, oh, my God, I need him. But his production speaks for itself. You know, he always looks and feels like he's around or near the quarterback, which is a great asset to have from a pressure standpoint. And, you know, at the very least, you're living in the quarterback's head as they drop back, trying not to get murdered by the rush because they know 
If I hold on to it too long, this guy's going to find a way to get to me. So he does, you know, again, he's super young, fifth round pick, so he's going to get time to develop. Um, but he, he does need to improve his strength and run defending play. Um, he was more of sort of that pass rushing specialist at Boise State, but a great pickup in round five. And honestly, someone who could be a starter down the line for this team, which if you're finding those in the fifth round, that's great, great drafting. And in the sixth round, the Dolphins took <laughs> the surprise of the draft. Blake Ferguson, long snapper, LSU. I'm not really going to dive deeply into this one because why? It's a long snapper. We know what they do. They can't even get rushed when they snap the ball. They just got to run down and try to make a play. Um, But hey, if things do get dry in the offseason with everything going on, we can have like a deep breakdown of Blake Ferguson as well. Um, But, you know, he does have the pedigree. He played in high-pressure situations at LSU, so you know he's not going to crumble with that that snap, that important field goal to win the game because he was doing it at the highest level. He's also a high-character guy and a leader on a team filled with alpha dogs at LSU. They had they broke the record. They had the most picks in the draft, I believe. I believe they had, what, 14 picks in the draft overall, um, which is insane from one team in college. So the fact that he was voted a captain shows that he's absolutely a high-character guy, someone who's respected by those around him. So not only is he doing his job by snapping the football, but he's adding to the locker room in terms of value. Um, Not that Tabor Pepper wasn't. The team did release Tabor Pepper um, the day after the draft. which pretty much ensured that Blake Ferguson, you know, would have the spot, you know, and, and Finn's pod on Twitter, we had a great exchange with, with Tabor and we wish him all the best going forward. Um, sucks to see players sort of lose their spot. Um, but, you know, it does appear that the Dolphins want to go in a different direction. And Blake Ferguson, at the very least, possesses more of that character leadership standpoint. Although personally, I thought Tabor Pepper was hilarious. Great follow. Go follow him on Twitter uh, at Tabor Snapping. Um, but, you know, he, you know, Blake Ferguson will provide something a little bit more from from a, you know, punt coverage, kickoff coverage standpoint, where even as a long snapper, he could be an option um, to go make a play down the field. But now, hey, now we got to root for Blake. And with the final pick of the Dolphins 2020 NFL draft, they took Malcolm Perry, quarterback, Running back, receiver, all-around baller extraordinaire from Navy. Why would we take him? Why would the Dolphins take him? Hmm, I'll tell you. Julian Edelman. Julian Edelman came into the league as a college quarterback, too, and developed into a playmaking slot receiver thanks to his high football IQ from playing the position and just his overall athletic profile and his athletic ability. And that could be a similar uh, trajectory that we see from Malcolm Perry. All the reports indicated, and not just reports, Perry himself said that the team who focused on him the most in the pre-draft process was the New England Patriots. So it does show that there is a certain type of guy Miami likes to find or these Patriots guys would like to find um, you know, later in the draft. And so it makes sense the Dolphins snagged him prior to him signing as an undrafted free agent in New England. So at Navy, he was a quarterback in a read option offense exclusively. So he would just run the ball. He didn't really throw the ball much, um, but that's not why we need him. We need him to be elusive, explosive, um, and, and potentially you know be on the practice squad for a while uh, and develop his body and understand the receiver position. So when he's ready, maybe if not later in the season, maybe a year from now, you can slide him in at slot receiver and he's able to use his experience at quarterback to, to truly help the offense going forward. Um, and he's a great guy. I mean, coming from the Navy, that's one thing. You know, thank you for thank you for your service. Um, but you know, he's a great guy and a, a leader from all accounts. He was a captain on that team, which you know means a lot more than being a captain on some you know East Middle Tennessee college. Not that those guys aren't high character, but 
All I'm going to say is that the Navy probably has a lot higher character men um, on that roster. Uh, and so, no, hey, no shots if you went to Middle Tennessee. No offense. But definitely Malcolm Perry's a guy that you're going to root for easily to succeed. I, I mean, we're going to root for all these guys to succeed. Um, and overall, now that you know we've sort of gone through all the picks here, Super excited to see how this class shapes out. We, we talked about this in the pre-draft episode. You know, this was a huge, huge draft for the Dolphins' future. It would really determine the arc of where it's going. And it's exciting to see Miami add some value, focus on important positions in the trenches, and most importantly, get their guy. Tua, baby, Tua. The Dolphins have a quarterback. Wow, say that to yourself five times. Still won't believe it. It's amazing. Um, so I'm excited to see, as we said, you know, how this class shapes out going forward. And, and hopefully these picks are, you know, if, if this team's going to have success in the future, then these picks have to turn out well. So now we're sort of going to talk about what it is was published on finspod.com as we do every week. And, and feel free for yourself to go check out um, the articles, kind of get more in depth with these topics. But firstly, during the draft, the Dolphins traded uh, their fifth, one of their fifth round picks, pick 153 overall, to the San Francisco 49ers for running back Matt Breida. Great move. Excellent move. Obviously, you know, we did hope to land a J.K. Dobbins type, a DeAndre Swift type, but instead of taking those guys early in the round, Earlier in the uh, in the draft, the, the Dolphins were able to focus on other positions of need, the, the defensive and offensive lines, and they still were able to get not only just a running back, a proven commodity in the NFL. Matt Breida is a burner. He's a burner. And to get him for a fifth-round pick, great move. He, he's going to come in experienced. You already know what you're going to get. Perfect compliment for Jordan Howard. Jordan Howard provides that sort of banging in between the tackles. You know, not a huge weapon in the passing game, but, you know, Jordan Howard will be able to at least supplement that. But on a third and three, third and two, you you need that guy to dive in there behind between the guard and the center and just get you and bury that first. He's going to do that. He's going to do that. What Matt Breed is going to do, those sweep runs, those those plays, you know, more stretch run plays. And he's a more patient runner. And then when he finds the hole, he's going to hit it and explode. He had the, the fastest uh, play speed, I believe, last year on one of his touchdown runs. He ran over 22 miles an hour, which is insane. So having a speed, dynamic running back um, to complement what we currently have in the backfield it's a great pickup, and only for a 153rd overall pick, it's better than any player you could have taken at that position. So overall, smart moves made, and you know the concern you could say would be, why? Why would the 49ers trade him? Well, the 49ers have a bevy of running backs right now, and you know Breida did get injured towards the end of last season, and he has gotten injured, but. With those speed guys, that tends to happen. Um, so hopefully he's recovered, and all signs indicate that you know he'll be fine, to ready to go to start the season for the Finns. But um, that's why the 49ers got rid of him. The Raheem Mostert kind of took his role, and frankly did a little bit better than Matt Breida. But Breida, by any for by no means is 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 a bad running back or you know a fifth round value. He's frankly a higher value running back than that. So great moves by the Dolphins. Um, the other thing on the website was pertaining to after the draft. The Dolphins picked up 10 undrafted free agents. At the time of the article, it was only eight. Um, but the Dolphins uh, signed wide receiver Matt Cole, tackle Jonathan Hubbard, linebacker Kylan Johnson, defensive tackle Benito Jones, who is honestly the only true nose tackle that the Dolphins have right now. So he does have an edge over these other undrafted free agents for carving out a role on this roster. Um, another tackle, Nick Kultmayer, defensive tackle Ray Lima, wide receiver Kirk Merritt, who, excuse me, personally, I am very excited about. Kirk Merritt is explosive, a dynamic athlete, and potentially a true slot receiver. Eh. 
could be Albert Wilson's replacement in a year. Um, but I really like Kirk Merritt. It'll be exciting to see you know him in the preseason, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for him to carve out a role just because the Dolphins have such a stacked, well, I wouldn't say stacked. They're not really top-heavy at the receiver position, but they do have a lot of good, good depth. So it'll be hard for Merritt to sort of crack that. And then the Dolphins also added defensive end Tyson Render, who was the guy that Bill Belichick skipped the combine to go visit. Oh, look at that. The Dolphins annoying the Patriots everywhere they go. I love it. I'm a fan. Uh, Center Donnell Stanley, as well as tight end Bryce Sterk. Bryce Sterk initially at Montana State played defensive end, um, but he's very athletic, so he's going to transition to tight end. So he's almost a lock to be on the practice squad going forward. And that'll do it for us here today. I thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Fins Pod and hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, the Tua era is upon us. I'm super excited. I know all you guys are very excited for that as well. Um, you know, there's been a clear infusion of hope and excitement into this fan base, and it's palpable, and we needed it. We deserved it as fans. Um, but please subscribe to the show. It's available on all platforms. Most recently, we got added to iHeartRadio as well, so super excited about that if you, if you do happen to listen to that station. Um, um, we were available on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, as well as a video on YouTube to accompany the podcast. Continue the conversation over on Twitter and Instagram at FinsPod. You guys are great on Twitter. Absolutely love talking to you guys. So keep talking there. Um, and check out the site, as always, FinsPod.com for daily news and content. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Stay safe. Thank you. Thank you.